Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Well, the moment of reckoning may be upon us with interest rates around the world rising and rising, frankly, much quicker than expected in the US and even in Australia. Theoretically, everyone knows that record low rates have been an extraordinary tailwind for asset prices and higher rates are going to put real pressure on valuations. We've been talking about this for a really long time, but it's one thing to know these things and an entirely different one to experience them. So which sectors will survive and which ones should you be rethinking? Today, I'm speaking with Maroon Yunus, co-portfolio manager of the Global Future Leaders Fund at Fidelity Investments to talk risk and return in this rapidly changing environment. Maroon, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on the show, Gemma. Uh, It's my pleasure and really excited to be here. So Maroon, you look at emerging leaders, which is a cool name, right? It sounds exciting. Uh, Not the top end of the market. How have smaller and medium-sized companies fared recently when we're talking relative to the big guys? You know, rates are cycling higher now. What's been happening? Yeah, yeah. look, it's, it's, it's actually been surprising uh, how well they've held up. So now usually you expect the, the smaller end of town to be impacted um, a little bit more by risk-off episodes because they, they have higher beta, their, their moves up and down are more pronounced. Um, but the fact that they've held up really well, I think, um, probably just goes to show that what we're seeing right now is, is, is probably a, a very broad-based uh, de-risking episode. So basically, equity markets for a long time have been operating under what's been termed as a, a TINA regime, T-I-N-A, for those that don't know. There is no alternative, right? Um, basically, bonds and cash weren't giving you much by way of returns, so investors were forced to effectively move up the risk curve in, in search of yields and returns. Um, we, we've also had a lot of um, additional liquidity injected into the system throughout the pandemic through through fiscal measures. And so this, this move in yields that you're referring to, this upward moves in, in yields that you're referring to, it's doing two things. It's, it's sucking out some of this excess liquidity out of the system, um, and it's also finally creating an alternative, um, which we haven't had for, for quite some time. And I think investors are sort of concerned that central banks are behind the curve with respect to inflation, um, and, and investors are increasingly concerned that central banks are not going to be able to get this problem under control without breaking something. So uh, it, it's a broad-based reassessment of risk is, is sort of what I'd say, and that's, that's probably why we haven't seen the small cap end of town being impacted uh, you know, to, to a greater degree than, than large caps. I hadn't thought about it in those terms that Tina is over, but you're right, Tina's over, isn't it? It is, yeah, it is. It's quite telling how this process is changing, how investors are having to look at things. We knew it was coming, but it's it's very different to be part of it. So what yeah. sectors have you been keen on in recent years when you were looking at companies that you yeah. believe were going to grow quicker than the market? Yeah, um, so, so, so I guess the core of what we're really trying to do is, is find those companies that, that can, you know, as you say, um, compound and grow their earnings at attractive rates. So um, th- th- there's a few areas that naturally sort of, um, I guess, you know, lead into that, um, areas that have, I guess, you know, a, some sort of structural tailwind that's sort of, you know, working in your favour as, as an investor. So sectors like technology, healthcare, 
um, some high quality niche industrials, particularly in the B2B space. Um, and then I guess some selective consumer brand names uh, that have you know very strong brands and, and, and distribution networks. Um, for, from from a thematic perspective, uh, the the fund that we run has um, exposure to a bunch of different uh, very interesting themes, uh, and a lot of these are playing out over a long period of time. So some of these include, I guess, the, the, the changing consumer habits, uh, particularly with the emergence of of the Asian middle class. Um, wealth management, which again, with the, with the emerging middle class as well as an aging demographic, retirees need um, different solutions for wealth management. So that that's a very exciting area. Cloud infrastructure, cloud and network infrastructure. Obviously, we know everything's moving to the cloud, data centers. Uh, so there's a lot of players in that ecosystem. Um, another another exciting trend is digitization, automation, particularly in 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 sort of factory robotics. Uh, as well as, I guess, increased medical needs and surgical innovation. So, uh, you know, the ageing demographic profile um, creates creates sort of, um, I guess, increased or, or different medical needs. And the final one uh, is also scarcity of resources and, and clean technology, which is, you know, becoming an increasingly important uh, issue in this sort of world where climate change is becoming more pertinent. But the important thing is... Um, the tailwinds and structural thematics, it's only one part of the, the equation because it's equally as important to pick the winners within those exciting areas as it is to sort of pick, you know, what those exciting areas are because the, the dispersion in returns um, can be quite large between the companies that do well and, 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 and the rest of them. Um, and so let's let's look at a couple of examples. Let's take ByteDance, for example. So social media, uh, let's look at ByteDance, which owns a very popular TikTok platform. Now that's a private company, but over the past eighteen months, it's it's more than tripled its valuation um, over that time frame. You compare that to Twitter, for example, and and you know prior to Elon Musk's takeover offer, it had basically halved from its highs. And and even if you include the takeover offer, anyone who bought Twitter uh, eighteen months ago is is no better than you know having um, broken even over, over that time frame. So even if you had come to the conclusion 18 months ago that you liked social media, that you wanted exposure to social media, that still wasn't going to be a guarantee that you're going to generate good returns because, you, as you can see, one company's tripled its value, the other company's basically stayed flat. Um, so it's really, really important, I think, to sort of pick the winners from, from the rest of them. And, and the final thing I'd also say on that is, you know, be very mindful of valuations. And it's, it's become um, increasingly more important over the past few months with the increase in yields. Um, but valuation is, is critical. And if I give you another example, um, let's take Microsoft here. Um, picture yourself, it's the year 2000, right? You're an investor, it's the year 2000. The PC revolution, uh, it's well underway. Uh, households are increasingly being connected to the internet. And so you, you peer through your crystal ball and you think to yourself, this is an area that's going to be exciting and it's going to offer a lot of growth for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And you come to the conclusion that, you know, there's there's no better company to access this than Microsoft, right? If you cast your mind back to 2000, their Windows product, it basically dominated the PC landscape. Uh, it, it had monopoly-like power. So you think to yourself, with a, a high degree of conviction, this company is going to be materially larger. It's going to generate a lot more revenues and profits 10 years from now. So what could go wrong, right? 
Uh, well, in some ways, you, you, you were spot on. Like if you look at Microsoft between 2000 and 2010, it more than doubled its, its revenues. It almost tripled its profits over that same time frame. So operationally speaking, um, it did very well. But yet as an investor, you wouldn't have been a very happy shareholder because if you bought Microsoft in the year 2000, uh, it more than halved. At one point, it was sort of down about 70%. And it took you about 16 years to get back to break even. So between 2000 and 2016, which is a very long period of time, and assuming you had the patience to hold Microsoft for that long, for those 16 years, your account would have been showing a capital loss on that position. And it took 16 years to sort of get back uh, to where you were. So obviously, dot-com bubbles are quite, you know, quite extreme and, and uh, you, you don't expect episodes like that to repeat all that often. But I think it just highlights to you that you can't just find an area that's exciting. You can't just find a company that's going to do well. You also need to um, think about the valuations and the expectations that are embedded um, into that share price. Uh, and so I think you need to be very picky and, and, and very selective. Um, insurance is one that we quite like as well at this point in time. Um, insurance premiums actually go through cycles. Uh, right now, what we're, what we're seeing is what's known as a hardening cycle, where basically premium prices are on the rise. Um, insurance is very critical. It's not something that you can skimp on, you know, if prices rise 5 or 10%, because especially if it's business insurance, it's, it's quite critical to, to the operations of your business. And, and the other thing that insurers um, do, and this is something Warren Buffett's spoken uh, quite a lot about in the past, is they have access to this thing called uh, basically the float, which is, you know, you pay your premiums up front, they collect that money, uh, and they basically hold on to it for free. And so what insurers do is they usually invest it into short-term government bonds or, or um, high-quality corporate bonds because they need liquidity if, if, if the event arises where they have to pay out your claim uh, throughout the year. Now, for a long time, they basically haven't been able to earn much by way of returns on, on that money that's invested because yields have been so low. But now as yields rise, all of a sudden these insurers, they can earn more money on on, on on the premiums that you pay in advance, um, which is going to make their returns a lot more interesting. Um, the final thing I'd, I'd just sort of caveat everything with is I'd, I'd say, uh, it, you know, this is always important, but I think especially now in this inflationary environment, uh, pricing power is, is key. It is probably the single most important thing to be looking out for. Uh, we all know this, but raw material costs are rising, labour costs are rising, the basic cost of, of doing business is rising. If you as a business don't have any form of pricing power, there's a, a very real risk that you're going to experience some form of uh, compression to your margin profile. So you really need to find businesses that have genuine pricing power and, and businesses that can pass on um, the increased cost to the consumer because that's the only way that you can really help protect your margins as a business. So that would be, I think, a very key thing to, to keep in mind um, as we sort of navigate the next 18, 24 months. That's quite an extraordinary summary, actually, for investors who are looking beyond their existing portfolios at this point in time. There's a lot to think about there, but all immensely valuable. I think that point about picking winners when you're looking at emerging uh, emerging sectors is so, so important. And you've mentioned renewables and clean technology. It's one that keeps coming up, uh, keeps coming up as a theme that everyone's interested in. Either they're very hostile to it or they're very enthusiastic about it. And I think given the weight of money that's moving in that direction, you probably would prefer to be enthusiastic. 
when yeah. investors are going offshore, they're looking closely at this space. The one I'm mentioning is Enphase Energy, just because it keeps popping up in our international trades in very large trade sizes, only a small number of people, very, very large trade sizes. Uh, and also I know what they do because we have them on our roof. Uh, <laughs> they provide microinverters, among other things, for solar panels. So uh, if you know what's on your roof, you might have some. You've written about renewables recently. What are your thoughts on this part of the market when you talk about valuations when you talk about picking winners, despite the strong tailwinds for the sector? Yeah, so look, it, it is definitely a very exciting space. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, it's a space that it's obviously doing wonders for the environment and for the planet. Uh, and so because of that, I think it's it's one where it's quite easy to see a long growth tailwind, you know, in front of you, which is, which is always sort of the, the first thing you look out for. Uh, but it does echo a lot of the points I made about Microsoft. You, you need to be discerning and I think you need to separate the reality from the hype uh, because the reality is a, 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 an exciting sector does attract a lot of competition, which is great for consumers, uh, but it's something you really need to be mindful of uh, for investors. So I think the first thing you need to do is, is really just understand what the company does and where does it fit in the supply chain. Um, you know, saying it's it's in the renewable space is sort of broad and, and, and vague. It doesn't really guarantee uh, future investment success. So, you know, does it have something unique or a superior piece of technology that makes it stand out from its peers? Or is it providing just, just the Me Too uh, copycat type, type product? Does it have a superior brand or distribution network that, that can't easily be replicated? Um, if it's more of a commodity provider, does it have something uh, in its cost base that makes it, makes it structurally lower cost and therefore it can achieve higher margins even by providing a, a commodity service? These are all basically considerations that you need to take into effect, you know, not to mention uh, the point I made about valuation. So, um, you know, Enphase, uh, you know, we, we, we don't have a position in Enphase directly, but one company we do like, uh, which is sort of a competitor to Enphase, is, is SolarEdge. Uh, basically, the two of them share a duopoly um, in, in the US uh, residential. Um, and, and now they've branched out internationally as well in, in, in the solar panel space. Um, and, and both of them, uh, provide basically a superior alternative to what was the incumbent um, technology, which was the old string inverter technology. So, as you mentioned, Enphase um, does, does the micro inverter. SolarEdge has a, a slightly different way of, of doing it by optimizing um, uh, the DC current. But both of them provided something unique, something different, something superior to what was the existing te technology at the time. Um, now, if you compare them head to head, Solar Edge, uh, it's 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 much bigger. It generates about fifty percent more revenue and, and, and profits. Uh, has very similar marginal profile to Enphase, uh, but the key is it's trading at a significant discount to Enphase. So, you've got two companies broadly doing the same thing. They share about ninety percent of, of market share between them. Um, you know, broad, broadly the same in terms of profitability, uh, but but one of them is, is trading significantly cheaper and it's also larger than the other one. Um, now, both of them have actually held up quite well um, despite the recent market volatility and, and the sell-off in, in uh, growth names. Uh, and this sort of comes back to my point about being uh, discerning because if you if you compare solar edge and Enphase and you sort of put them together and how they performed over the past 18 months, and then you compare it to two other sort of popular names in, in the space, Plug Power and Sunrun, both are sort of in the renewables, solar slash hydrogen space. Um, the former, they're, they're broadly flat over the last 18 months. The latter are down somewhere between 40 and 70%. 
over the past 18 months. So that's not to say anything negative about Sunrun or, or Plug Power. I think both uh, both are exciting and growing well. But both got to a position where they were um, trading at levels that were basically priced for perfection. And any minor hiccup you have when you're priced for perfection will cause the market to pause um, and, and reset the expectation. So, again, exciting space, but be, be very, very discerning because the dispersion in outcomes between those companies that are doing better than those companies that are doing worse can, can, be, can be materially large. I love that summary. And uh, and I didn't expect a full analysis on Enphase, but it was great. <laughs> and hopefully whoever's been trading it's been listening to that one. It's uh it's a really it's a really interesting sector and it's quite astonishing how quickly it continues to grow. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Australia's got the highest level of household solar uptake in the world. But I think the US, yeah. you know, the upside potential is enormous, isn't it? There's like whole areas of it's- Texas and Arizona that haven't got anything. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, so Australia is very well penetrated. Um, we've also had good government incentives. The US is just a large market. I mean, the US has hundreds of millions of households, probably probably over 100 million households in the US. And I think Australia is about 11 or 12 million households. So you just think about the, the sheer size of that and it's eight, nine times the size of our market and penetrated. So yeah, the, the growth potential there is huge. And they've also, you know, for many, many of their states, and you wouldn't want to go doing it in Boston, I imagine, but certainly many of their states are, you know, beautifully positioned for solar, right? It's a nice place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the the Sunbelt states down the bottom there uh, along the south, um, they they get incredible amounts of sunshine. And everybody's moving there. (laughs) So when we look outside the most dominant stocks you were talking about the the re-rating and i think you put it politely but i think what people are worried about at the moment is that anything that was priced for perfection if there is a disappointment amazon the other day was a good example it's going to get absolutely hammered you know it's going to be down 15 percent in the aftermarket not one percent or two percent you know the market's really punishing anything that's disappointing at the moment tech's been absolutely smashed in the u.s some of those numbers are incredible do you think this is a bit of a reckoning or are you looking at opportunities there how does this feel to you yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess if, if you want to talk about um, tech companies being smashed, uh, you know, Amazon is one, but Netflix, I think, is is the poster child, right? You know, down twenty five percent literally overnight on the back of um, you know weaker subscriber numbers. So, Amazon's fared well uh, in that regard relative to to something like Netflix. But but look, you know, uh, back to your question. We're definitely looking for opportunities, um, but but I think once again, I hate to sound like a broken record. You've got to be very selective. Um, the the one area I would advise a lot of caution, uh, though, for investors is is the non profitable segment of the tech sector. Uh, you mentioned sort of Amazon. I mean, Amazon is a, is an amazing business, um, but what it basically did was condition the market really to accept that a company can go. Uh, for you know, for an extended period of time without generating profits and still create uh, enormous amount of shareholder value over time, uh, but markets they they take things to extremes, and so what we've seen over the past few years is markets demanding uh, to some extent that businesses invest more and more and accelerate uh, the losses near term uh, in order to grow quicker. So so you know basically insisting that they follow the Amazon model, but but not every 
loss-making, fast-growing, um, small tech company is going to end up like Amazon. That's just the reality of it, right? So, and what we've seen now is yields going up. So that's that's increasing funding costs, uh, whether it's debt or equity. Um, and the central banks, you know, ending QE is is as I mentioned earlier, it's it's sucking some of that excess liquidity and cash out of the system. So, you know, these unprofitable companies that are basically selling a concept or a dream. They're going to find it much more difficult, I think, going forward to access the funds they need to, to sustain uh, their, their loss-making growth and business models. And even if they do access those funds, it's it's going to be uh, a lot costlier than it was before, so it's going to impact their margin profile. So I think if you want to uh, concentrate on companies that can actually fund self-fund their own growth, um, I, th- I think that's, that's probably a safer place to be, just in case liquidity and funding dries up like what we saw in the GFC, these companies will continue to survive. Whereas those companies that are reliant on continually tapping the market uh, are going to find it um, a lot more difficult. Um, Now, whenever you see indiscriminate broad-based selling, as I sort of, um, uh, you know, put it to you earlier, there's always a possibility that good companies get sold off with the bad, you know, the proverbial uh, throwing out of the baby with the bathwater. So what you really want to do, I think, in these instances is, is pick through the wreckage and try to find those gems that have been thrown away. Um, it's it's hard to know if we're completely there in terms of the sell-off and resetting. Uh, I think we're, you know, a large part through, but it's, it's hard to tell exactly where the bottom is going to be. So you always will run into the risk of potentially being too early. Um, but when the market is shortening its time horizon and attention span and just only looking out one or two or three months um, into the future, what you really want to do as an investor is go the other way and actually adopt a longer time horizon because that's really how you generate a, a source of, of competitive edge as an investor. So even if you end up being a few months too early on pulling the trigger, um, it will pay off over the longer term if you've ultimately selected the right companies to partner up with. It's quite interesting you're talking about those profitless growth companies and I think we've all had a bit of an education about those in the last little while. Everyone's starting to realise that uh, at some point you probably should try to turn a profit. Are there any other sectors, you've mentioned a few areas where you're like, look, it's still pretty hot, you want to be careful. Are there any other sectors that you're just not going to touch right now? Yeah, look, it, it's it, it's probably less sectors, uh, I'd say specific, and it's it's probably more about just um, stuff that's that's loss making. Um, so take Peloton for example, right? It's not really in in the technology sector, even though they like to sort of um, call themselves as such. They're really more in, in sort of the fitness uh, space with technology around the edges. But the, the share price is down ninety percent from its highs, um, and, and it's not really technology related. Now, part of that is obviously the headwind um, from slowing user growth as we as we exit lockdowns, and I'll sort of come come onto that in a second. But the other element is is of course um, them not being able to demonstrate clearly um, how their long term profitability is is, is going to play out. So, I think anything that um, is loss making, whether it's tech or not. Um, it's definitely something you want to uh, be careful about. Um, and, you know, Peloton's not not, not, not the only um, company I want to pick on them. Um, there's lots of companies, I guess, in, in the e-commerce space that have fallen down significantly. Lots of companies in the payment space falling down significantly. Um, I mean, if you t- sort of take a step back, I think, uh, you know, if a company has benefited greatly from the lockdowns, I think you just need to be a little bit cautious uh, and dig a little bit into their business and understand going forward that 
um, if any of that increased revenue and windfall revenue they've seen over the past two years is going to um, unwind to some extent as we sort of uh, return back to a more normalised world. So, I mean, take take Zoom, for example, right? We're, we're doing Zoom right now. Uh, obviously, it benefited tremendously during the lockdowns. Now, it's, it's stock price um, almost hit about $600, I think, from memory uh, back in late 2020. It's now a, a, a touch below $100. And, and Zoom is not unprofitable. So these guys are turning a profit and yet they're down, um, you know, over 80% from their highs. So I, I think any company, you could, you could be in the healthcare space, for example. Um, if you're looking at a company in the healthcare space, you need to understand whether they benefited anything uh, over the past two years in terms of, um, you know, elevated revenues from assisting with COVID testing, for example. You know, if a business played a part in, in assisting COVID testing or running some pathology tests or anything like that, you, you need to be aware of that because the last thing you want to do is buy into a company and then a few months later have them disclose to the market that their revenue is down 5 or 10% year on year because there was some one-off COVID-related revenues uh, last year that didn't reappear this year. So... It, it, it's not a, um, a void or cost type red flag. I think it's just more a call for investors just to exercise caution for any company that may have benefited during lockdowns. Yeah, that's a great example. Zoom's really interesting to me because 90% of my meetings are still on Zoom. And, yeah, uh, yeah we, we are theoretically emerging from COVID, but it's still an incredibly useful technology. So I find it interesting they've been smashed so much. Yeah, well, I think that sort of, uh, plays back into the comments earlier about you know expectations versus reality. Um, we, we have adopted Zoom more than ever before, and even as we sort of exit lockdowns, we're still using Zoom. So you wouldn't have been incorrect in your assessment two years ago by by thinking that something structurally has changed with the way we conduct meetings. And yet, similar to Microsoft, you, you still find yourself um, as a shareholder in a very painful situation. Oh, that's a nice analysis. <laughs> when you compare it to Microsoft in that period, doesn't mean it's a bad company, doesn't mean it won't come back, just put that right. right a while. Yeah. One question uh, I must ask, because I think we've all had a rapid re-education on this as well. If I look back three or four years ago, there was something of a view that all jurisdictions were worth looking at from an investment perspective, that there were opportunities all over the world, that you should be thinking about Chinese technology in particular. There was a lot of stories about Tencent and Alibaba and Baidu and so on. And that was where people were getting most excited that we were kind of bored with the US and we needed to look further, further afield. And then we've had a few moments that have forced people to rethink. One is uh, the horrendous events in Russia, Ukraine, where suddenly buying Russian oil and gas is a terrible idea. And in China, the regulatory changes that have dramatically affected valuations and the business models of Alibaba and Tencent and so on have just given investors moments for pause. How are you looking at different jurisdictions at the moment? Are you... Are you looking broadly? Are you focusing more tightly? What are you looking at? Yeah, so I mean, the the, the Fidelity Global Future Leaders Fund, which is which is the one I, I sort of run, uh, co-manage along with James. Uh, we we look across across all jurisdictions, um, so we don't 
necessarily have a sort of top-down mandate to focus on one versus the other. Um, now, it's, it's interesting you sort of say stuff about people sort of being born with the US. Actually, because we have a quality bias in the fund, we, we end up gravitating more towards companies um, or sectors or countries where operational quality is higher and, and the mindset of managers is more shareholder-friendly. Um, and and this in, in this instance, the US continues to lead the way by, by a large margin. Um, there are lots of opportunities to, to find attractive businesses in the US that can grow their top line um, over long periods of time, generate lots of free cash uh, while doing so, generate very attractive rates of return on their invested capital base, have good balance sheets, um, return a lot of capital back to shareholders via buybacks and dividends. There's just so many opportunities in the US to, to, to find you know, that sort of stereotypical type of company is really what we're looking for. The trade-off, of course, is the price you pay. Um, and, and so whilst uh, we're always mindful of, of valuations, um, you know, you, you always sort of, I think, need to sort of be mindful of valuations, but but the, the US just has the, the, the quality premium. So we like finding opportunities in the US that are high-quality businesses where the market isn't giving them the credit they deserve. Uh, we, to be frank, we like finding those opportunities in any jurisdiction, but they just seem to be more, more plentiful and more available in the US. Um, you know, if, if I sort of look at other areas, Europe right now, it really is struggling to stay um, in positive territory. They are, as you said, very heavily reliant on, on Russian energy to feed their um, to feed their industrial export machine, particularly uh, Germany, which has usually been the, the, the bedrock of, of Europe. Um, they seem to be the most impacted from a strategic point of view. Um, so energy prices going through the roof, not to mention the reliability of and, and security of supply from Russia. Uh, uh, you know, Europe has basically found, it, uh, found itself now in a, in a very potentially dangerous situation um, where it could actually face uh, stagflation, you know, which is sort of a toxic combination of, of declining growth and increasing inflation, which is sort of, exactly what you want to stay away from. Um, uh, China, for example, um, it's it's seen a, a real slowdown in its economic growth. Part of it is due to its policy of, of wanting to adhere to a, a, you know, zero COVID. But on top of that, as you mentioned, um, regulation hasn't really inspired a whole lot of confidence from overseas investors with, with the respect to investing in the Chinese market. Um, now, having said that, I think they've uh, more recently in the past few weeks um, they've shown an intent on restoring some of that lost confidence. So perhaps, you know, they, they've probably recognised that they've probably gone a little bit too far uh, and, and maybe they sort of want to bring that back. So that, that might bode well, I think, for the future. So, um, yeah, basically the US is it remains, I think, the primary focus for us. Um, like I said, we, we like finding ideas all over the place, uh, but, but it just seems to, to occur more easily in the US. Maroon, that's a really nice segue into my next question, which is that Fidelity is one of the world's largest asset managers. You cover an incredible range of areas of interest to investors, but you also have people on the ground pretty much everywhere. It's quite fascinating. Where yeah. can people go to find out more about Fidelity Investments and how you help clients? Uh, yes, I mean, just our website, www.fidelity.com.au, that has a wealth of information on it. You know, it's got videos, articles, which provide our latest insights, um, all the different funds we offer to Australian investors. 
there's also um, a prominent section in there on sort of what we're doing with respect to sustainable investing, which is quite an important aspect for us. And uh, I think an increasingly um, growing aspect uh, for the community as well. So I think anyone who's keen to find out more or, or just sort of get, get some more views or latest insights, I'd, I'd probably encourage them to, to visit the website and, and take it from there. I picked up quite a few of the things we were discussing from some papers on your site. So thank you. Oh, very nice. <laughs> Marunas from Fidelity Investments. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I'd love to talk and, and hopefully your, your listeners uh, found it interesting. Thank you so much for listening. Also, as always, we love hearing from you. We receive fantastic feedback from you guys. We love getting your questions, love hearing about the topics that you would like to hear more about. So please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.